0: Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise, and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast episode 44 and today is a Doozy friends, Bushra Amiwala is the youngest Muslim elected official in the United States. When you think about trailblazing women and you have a list in your head of, you know, all these powerful women who, you know, were the first to do something or just did something massive in scale, made scientific discoveries, um, you know, did things like being our first female um, senator, congressperson, vice president of the United States. Bouchra needs to be on that list for you because she is the, again, the youngest Muslim elected official in the United States. She is just turned 23 years old. She is in Skokie, Illinois, which for those of you who don't know are more in like the Chicago area. And she's just like, I really, really struggled figuring out what I wanted to name this episode because I felt like there were so many fantastic takeaways um, that Bouchra shares with us. I mean, from self-confidence, understanding some of like your greater power and purpose in life, like meaning of of leadership, how you can combat like sexism and ageism and for her Islamophobia, So many great things are in this interview. I'm so excited. What an honor it was to be able to sit down and and have an hour of her time. I know it was very valuable and I know that you guys are going to absolutely love this conversation. Uh, And before we dive in, I have to just remind everyone once again, please, 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 please uh, for a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It does so much for the show. It helps with just the general success of the show other people finding it other people being able to listen to impactful conversations like this um i need it i need it i need it please 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 thank you thank you thank you um also as a quick announcement from an operational loan perspective we are coming to towards the end of q1 of the train like a warrior campaign so we're wrapping up our mental health uh focus for q1 and in Q2, we're going to kind of start making our transition into some nutritional health and also into the physical health as well. And now that, you know, a lot of people have been getting their vaccines and things are opening up, we're definitely going to see a lot more of those in-person events. So definitely stay tuned for that and follow along on Facebook or Instagram at Operation Alone. And as a reminder, you can always follow me um, on Instagram at Susan Foch or at Make an Impact Podcast. So, without further ado, uh you guys need to hear this conversation with Bushra. Um my dear, please give us a an overview of who you are, how you became again the youngest Muslim elected official in the United States and a little bit of how that journey came to be because I'm sure that was not a conventional or easy one at all. So, take it away.
1: Perfect. Um So my name is Bushra. I'm based out of Chicago. I was born and raised in Rogers Park and then moved to Skokie when I was nine years old. And growing up, I wasn't really interested in politics or anything of that sort. My parents focused on Pakistani politics and watched Pakistani news. So I wasn't really in tune with what was going on in the US. Um, I felt like all of my elected officials were really high up there, really inaccessible. They all had very similar names. And I felt as though I never even um, ever would find myself connecting with people of that sort and caliber. And what I was really passionate about was a bunch of different causes, such as poverty, hunger, homelessness, food insecurity, educational inequality, and volunteered at five different nonprofits the five days of the week. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school when I realized that nonprofit work, as great as it is, is only part of the solution, and that the best way to make long-term practical change is through public policy. So as a result, I took an AP government and politics class my senior year of high school. And through that class, I began interning for our U.S. senator. And someone on that campaign saw leadership ability and potential in me that I definitely did not see in myself at the time. And they asked me to run for public office. And I guess you can say the rest is history from there. But um, I lost the very first time that I ran. I ran against someone who had been in office for 16 years and I was 19 years old. Um, but in a three-person race, I came in second with 30% of the vote. And that person sat down with me after the election shortly and encouraged me to run for office again, which I did six short months later and found myself victorious in April 2019. Oh my
0: gosh. Um, so, and first of all, let's just clarify. So what office do you currently hold? What's your your title?
1: Yes, I serve on the Board of Education for Skokie School District 73 and a half. Okay,
0: awesome. So I just have to... We have to start this by saying, like, you are literally one of the most, like, incredible people <laughs> that I know. Um, and as a fun backstory for people, because I don't think anyone would know this, I actually met you a year, year and a half ago, um, because you competed for Miss Mississippi Crown in the Miss Illinois organization, which is a subsect of the Miss America organization, and I sit on that board. And I remember watching you compete that day, and the whole time, like, I was sitting in the audience, and I was like, Who? is this girl? (laughs) I was like, why don't I know anything about her? I was like, I want to become her best friend. Um, Because you just were so just like outrageously impressive. You had such a cool story. Um, And so cool of a story, I might add that you just got a Hulu documentary.
1: I did. Yeah. (laughs) What was that? Tell us about that. Yeah, that was such an amazing and exciting experience and opportunity. So There is an Amazon Prime TV series about me called Run and someone on that team, yes, uh, someone on that team works for ABC7 now, and she pitched my story too. She saw that they were doing this project now in our Women's History Month, and um, Hulu basically reached out to all of the ABC7 news stations all across the US, and we're like, we're looking for like inspiring female stories, so show us what you got. And they got like a thousand submissions, and from the thousand, they selected five people, um, five women to showcase their stories, and I was one of them. Um, which was an incredible honor, was super exciting. And it's just knowing the right person at the right time who is there to advocate for you and has your name in mind. Um, and that's how that worked out. So it was super exciting, um, a really amazing experience. And it just debuted this past Saturday.
0: Yeah, I still need to like watch it, but I saw you post it on social and I was like, is there anything with this girl I can't do? Uh, what is it called so people can go on Hulu and find it?
1: Oh, yes. It is called Our America, Women Forward.
0: Okay. I love it. I need to watch it this weekend. Um, (laughs) That's that's incredible, but also the fact that it came from a TV series that you said was on Amazon, right?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And so how did that come to be?
1: Oh, yeah. So for that, um, I was running for public office, and these uh, five incredible women decided to come up with this TV show idea that was a spinoff from Queer Eye, um where they would be like five expert ladies that seek to transform a female candidates campaign so a very niche uh market and industry for sure but they saw my campaign and they had been following me from both of my races and the um executive producer for that reached out to me and was like hey you should send in a casting tape i think you'd be great and i didn't even know what a casting tape was like i'm definitely not like an actress or know anything about the industry but I said, you know what? Like, why not? Like, this will be an amazing opportunity, like exciting resources. And prior to that, I'd filmed for another documentary actually before that was on PBS. So that's it. There's only the three after that. But so I had some experience like being in front of a camera and doing things of that sort. So I knew that like that wouldn't be a challenge or anything like that for me. And it was unscripted TV. So I thought that that would have been something really exciting too. So that's how that came to be. And again, it's just people again, seeing something in me that I sometimes don't see in myself. And it's other women uplifting women.
0: Yeah, isn't it like I mean, isn't it kind of the coolest part, though, where it's one of those things that like seems so obvious to other people and then when they point it out to you, you're like, oh, I didn't know that I had this secret like talent or like this little thing to me. Um, I think that's incredible that that's kind of like an arch to a lot of the pivots of your story is someone not only recognizing that in you, but also verbalizing it to you because there are plenty of times when I try to be like this where I see something in someone else. Uh, and I'll think it almost as if it's like, oh, well, like everyone would know that, including that person. And I'm trying to get better at verbalizing it because like, I don't know, just what would your life be if no one ever verbalized those things to you that they saw? You know what I mean? Just
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's like a way to be an everyday leader in your community, mm-hmm. right? Like we make leadership something that is so bigger than ourselves. But the best way to be a leader is to recognize potential in others and it's to invest in people. So, okay.
0: These people were also like, you were getting a lot of this pickup because people were seeing the campaign that you were running. Was there something like really, um, specific or like different about your campaign that really got their eye? Or was it really just the fact that like you were, and now you are <laughs> the youngest Muslim, um, elected official also, is that just like in general, or is it that like also at the youngest, like female elected?
1: It's in general, but yeah.
0: Um, the female elected is too. Yeah. So was it just really the fact that you were like this very young Muslim person who was running for this office? Or was there something like really like specific from a marketing, you know, standpoint that you were doing with your campaign that caught their attention? Or kind of what was that?
1: No, that was a great question. And one that actually I don't think I've been asked before. So I love the way that you phrased that. Um, So very thoughtful question. I think what caught people's eye the most was that I'm a young person doing it and then they would sort of see me and they'd be like, whoa, she's also a Muslim woman that is doing this. So I think it was the intersection of all of my identities that made my campaign just a bit more eye catching. But also, it was a very scrappy campaign. I was my own campaign manager. I was my own finance director. I was my own attorney. I did all of it on my own, did a lot of extensive Googling to learn things in between. And I think people saw that and they thought that that was almost sweet, you know, seeing like a young person figuring this out, but also making strides and doing that. And people were really attracted mm-hmm. to me for that reason. People wanted to help me. They wanted to say that they invested their time, effort and energy into me. And I think that um, I'm very lucky that like people would see good in me and want to do good for myself and my campaign. And one of the big parts and core tenets of running for office is raising money. And um, Most people come from affluent or wealthy backgrounds, and that's what makes it more accessible for them to run for office because their networks, it's easy for them to tap into that. So for me, when I was running for office, I was 19. So my um, network was the people I knew from high school who still owed me like $10 from back in the day. Right. So it was super hard to, um, get the funds needed. And I was super vocal about that too. And I think someone like myself was just kind of authentic and vulnerable with myself. Like I wouldn't try to overplay my weaknesses and I wouldn't try to, um, overcompensate for things like that. I really tried to stay my most authentic self. And I think people saw that and were attracted to that. Yeah, for sure. And you are, what are you now, 22? I just turned 23, yes.
0: <laughs> you just turned 23. Okay, you make me feel ancient, and that's, like, not even fair. <laughs> um, but and, but here's the thing, though. So that was, ni- you were 19. You went to Google University, which is, like, hands down for, like, all of us doing weird things, um, which is a very, like, it's a very, like, the, the, the delightful part of, like, naivete, going for something like this, which I totally understand and respect, like, other people looking at you being like, this is a very sweet way um, to kind of do this, but I'll even add, like, you know, you are, and this is my next question, by the way, like, you are featured in, like, every big magazine, like, you have a Hulu documentary, like, you, you have all these amazing, like, mile-long resume things and you're only 23 um but you still like even right now in this interview are so humble about it and so kind about it and I think that is just like a really rare characteristic that we don't get in like politicians um or even quite frankly a lot of people but like politicians especially I think that's part of what also keeps you in this like very specific like but lovable eye Do you agree with that? Do you hear that a lot?
1: I do hear that a lot. And that's so sweet. That's actually my favorite compliment, like being told that because it's a way to acknowledge like the status, quote unquote, and caliber that I'm at, but it also couples that with like character traits that I really hope to emulate. And um, I've jokingly say that, like the reason why behind is cause like every day I come home, no matter what I've done that day, no matter how big of a crowd I've spoken in front of, no matter who I've met, no matter what that looks like my job at the end of the day is to wash the dishes, like after dinner, like that's what I have to do. Um, so it's like little things like that. And also I come from a pretty, um, culturally conservative Pakistani family. And they're also so a family of immigrants. So for example, when I was on the cover of Time magazine, I told my mom and dad, I was like, guys, I'm on the cover of Time magazine. It's so exciting. Look at this and they go wait, what's time magazine. And I feel like it's the instances like that, that really um, that's where the, I think humility comes from. Right. It's like, oh, like yeah. maybe this isn't something that I should have kept ego over or anything like that. So I think that that's um, a very interesting point that you brought up and very sweet. So thank you.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, very well deserved. But honestly, I, that what a humbling like response though from your parents to be like, what's time magazine? <laughs> Right. Like that's, there's nothing like more humbling, especially from a parent kind of like put, and that was like not intentional. Like they weren't like downing you or telling you like, you shouldn't be excited. They just were like, I don't get the big deal, which is again, like another level of like beautiful, naive. Yep. <laughs> love. Speaking of time magazine, um, your Instagram bio kills me and I love it, which it literally reads featured in all the magazines I read as a kid. Like, that hits me in a different level of feels so how does that feel to say and more importantly especially because your parents like didn't really understand a lot of the magnitude of those things like when did that kind of hit you like i'm on the cover of time freaking magazine or i'm like featured in glamour or you know like, have you ever had that moment where you're like holy bananas this is huge
1: I definitely think it was Glamour, which was the biggest one. That was in 2018. I was named Glamour Magazine's College Woman of the Year. And as a result of that, they flew us out to New York um, and had an entire reception for that. And at the same time, Glamour Magazine's Women of the Year that year were Kamala Harris and uh, Viola Davis and Chrissy Teigen. So it got to meet all of them. And here I am, again, put at the same caliber and pedestal as these amazing, incredible, inspiring women. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that that was the biggest moment for me where I was like, I cannot believe I'm at an event right now where there's a red carpet, where there are all these celebrities, right? Where John legend is literally performing in honor of his wife for receiving the woman of the year award. Yeah. And, um, I'm being honored and recognized as well.
0: Oh my gosh. Which, and especially cause you were 19 at the time from like Skokie, Illinois, which by the way, if anyone listening doesn't know, that's like in the Chicagoland area, um, yeah. And you're having this big moment. Okay. I love that story though. Cause I think anyone from a normal like background would be put in that position and just be like, why am I on this red carpet? Like, with exactly. all of these cool people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I love that story though. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit. Let's go backwards. Um, I had to gush about that <laughs> really fast, but let's go backwards. What was your actual, like the race, your, your campaign? Like, so you bootlegged, not bootlegged so sorry bootstrapped uh, the entire thing you googled it to death yourself you were fundraising everything on your own like how was that and more importantly I do have to ask like were you experiencing any moments of racism or Islamophobia or any other kind of discrimination that just maybe like a normal 19 year old would get because I'm sure other 19 year olds would just get the whole like you're young you're inexperienced you don't know what you're doing did you ever get something super direct like that
1: you know what's interesting what i faced the most was sexism a hundred percent Um, I think when people meet met me, the first thing that they would notice would be that I'm a Muslim woman, I wear the hijab. So that's something that's a very obvious thing. And as women, we tend to be reduced to our clothing and our appearances. And as a Muslim woman who wears the hijab being reduced to my identity means the inability to see beyond my religious beliefs. And people wouldn't instantly know that I was 19, that I later turned 20 when I was campaigning for office. It's not something that you would guess when you would just have a conversation with me. I think I sort of went above and beyond to try to speak in a way that was you know, confident and poised and respectful and it just wouldn't come up as much. But um, the really hurtful and challenging part about the sexism that I faced was that it was one, there were microaggressions, so people didn't know that they were engaging in like sexist behavior, and two, it was there are also blatant forms of it as well. So, for example, um, I was offered fifty-four thousand five hundred dollars worth of corporate PAC funding, which was not in line with my mission, values, and beliefs. So, I declined that sum of money. Which, to this day, political um, analysts and theorists look at my campaign and say, "Had she accepted that money, she would have won," uh, type thing, and it just wait so sorry so was that corporate funding for your first campaign not for your second one and that's why they're, okay got it perfect yes it was for my first campaign yes yes and um and you know I, I posted a pretty low quality video of myself on facebook saying like hey i was offered this money i declined it now power to the people like you all like use this momentum to contribute to my campaign And that video got a lot of exciting traction and people, you know, reacted and responded to it. And it kind of went viral within like the local, you know, community at hand. But I also got a lot of messages from people saying, "Loved what you stood for, love your message, but could you lighten the lipstick next time? And it's comments like that, that to me are quite sexist. And I wish I could, you know, be here in front of you and say, and then I said the sassy thing back to them and was showed them up. But unfortunately, I never wore that lipstick again, because I did not want anything to distract from my messaging and my campaign. And those are some of like the little everyday sacrifices that we make as women. And there was a debate between my two male opponents and I, and in that, and it was a very highly covered debate. And in a newspaper article highlighting that debate, it talked about the two policy ideas that each male opponent presented. And it said, And Bushra Amiwala wore a stylish light pink hijab to the forum. And that is all it said about me, which I think is an incredibly frustrating place to be. And so people loved to talk about my identity. People loved to talk about what I looked like. And it's not just something that happened to me. I look at the national level, everyone talked about Hillary Clinton in her pantsuits. Um, So I think sexism is what I faced the most.
0: Yeah. Well, even on that, too, I mean, for the uh, the inauguration this year, it was like, what a beautiful fashion show of like Michelle Obama mm-hmm. and Kamala and even like Hillary, like everyone there. And it was like they they looked beautiful. Absolutely. But that was not the point. Like, that was not the focus that everyone commented on the fashion show. That was the inauguration. Um, that is so absolutely not where i thought you were going to take that like i thought you were going to talk more about like islamophobia racism something and along those lines so that's fascinating to me i well because and i really thought i was like if anything you would have gotten it just like for your age which of course you you don't speak like and i'm not saying this to be uh disparaging to your traditional 19 to 23 year old but you do you speak very confidently intelligently you know, you are very prepared for that job, and I'm sure you showed up to every debate like that as well. But I never would have thought that's actually what you got, like, the most flack for. So that's that's crazy. Um, but I think that's I think that's always a really hard part, though, particularly as women, whenever we do anything remotely that, like, shows our face. And the other thing to that, too... Between, you know, this podcast and some different things that I do with Discover Wisconsin, it's one of those things where we've learned stats too about people will also, particularly for podcasts, because you can't see our faces, right? But for women, it's like 73% more complaints happen about like the tone of a woman's voice and like the tone of a man's voice. Like there's always these little bits of scrutiny towards women for just about, anything do you um did you also get a lot of um you know criticism for the fact that you also wore your hijab I know you said that sometimes they commented that it was stylish which at least was a nice comment on it but (laughs) you ever get people that were like confused by it or wish that you didn't
1: wear it or anything like that so I come from a pretty diverse town in Skokie, Illinois, which is very diverse. We have a very healthy um, Muslim population community here, and it's a very predominantly Jewish area. Actually, after the Holocaust, many people from, uh, who were escaping that came to Skokie. And because of that, I think people were very opening, open and welcoming to the fact that I wore the hijab. However, once I got that national attention, that's when I got rampant Islamophobia and I got lots of really, really mean, hateful messages, comments, emails. And it was like almost every time I went viral because of an article or a story or a video that was posted about me, I was terrified of the backlash that was to come. Um, I would almost wish that that's not something that would happen because I didn't have thick enough skin for something like that. And people, you know, it was really challenging was that people would say that I'm too Muslim for a mainstream American media. And then other people would say I'm not Muslim enough for the Muslim community because my hair shows when I wear the hijab and my I wear makeup as well. And um, that that's not in line with the values when in reality, that's not the case at all. Um But I think that's what the most challenging part is. You find yourself in this dichotomy, right, where you're being pulled in two different directions and you don't really know where the balance is. And that's where that authenticity piece, I think, always it boils down to where it's like, I will just be true to myself and who I naturally am. And um, people will have something to say no matter what it is. And the best way to get through that is I would tell myself that with every 100 positive comments, you're guaranteed a negative comment as well. And if that's what the ratio is, then you know, I have 99 great things and one negative thing. And that's something that it's it is easier to focus on, you know, the black dot on the whiteboard, right? Because that's all you see when you see that there. But um, it's it is important to look at the bigger picture at those things. And I'm still struggling to cope with stuff like that. It is challenging, especially being a younger person. Social media is makes it easy for people to hide behind a screen um, and, you know, hide hide their faces and share comments that are super negative. But um, yeah, we're still struggling with that.
0: <laughs> and I kind of want to talk about that if you don't mind like because I can totally like sympathize and empathize with that. and I cannot imagine what it would be like to get the backlash that you have on a national scale like this. But um, do you think that it's are you do you try to focus on? The fact that you know the the one black dot on the whiteboard is going to be inevitable or do you try to focus on the fact that at least there are 99 positive comments like which one helps you
1: more kind of in coping um that's such a good question i think it's the inevitable piece because it makes me it's comforting to know in a way that you know that this is going to happen as a result of doing something right as a result of that, you know, like this is just what comes with quote unquote fame, it's what comes with exposure, it's what comes with uh, people knowing your name and who you are. And um, I think that the reason why that's more comforting is because that reminds me that it's not going to go away, and it's not going to stop. And I think it prepares me for that idea and that mindset that this is something that will only increase as you know, I increase my scope and what I do and um, expand beyond my own horizon. So it's very interesting um, question in the way that you posed that. And uh, I really appreciate that.
0: Well, no, because I think at some point, even if you're just like a normal teen or a normal college student, like there's always one person who has to make like a rude comment, right? Um, even if there's like 10 other people hyping you up, there's always someone to take you down. So I think it's really helpful for other people. And I would, I would think, especially young people to hear you say, like, it still isn't easy. Like you, you weren't just like born, you know, with this like rubber skin that you're like, Nope, none of it affects me. So I think that that's, that's very helpful. But going back to our original like topic though, is this also a little bit of what kind of keep some of your language a little bit more humble?
1: Uh, definitely, definitely. Because seeing those that negativity, it's, it's also sometimes comments like, oh, um, you know, she, she talks really fast. And I'm like, wow, that's genuinely great feedback. You know, like that I'm able to take into account and consideration. Um, so I'm super mindful of the speed and the pace that I speak at. I used to be on the debate team in high school, and on the debate team, we would have eight minutes to speak as fast as we possibly could. So it's just like a natural habit that I fall into. And a lot of the times, those comments that I've read have actually shifted my perspective and I've shifted the way that I carry and present myself. So what people might be doing as a way to tear me down has actually, I've been able to use it as a way to build myself up and make me. Um, better in some instances. But I definitely think it adds to the humility piece because um, it's like, well, you're not anything that great, actually. Here's X, Y, Z. And something I oftentimes talk about is that I'm someone who's super insecure as well. And I think it's seeing those like reaffirmations of someone else saying something that I might be insecure about is definitely something that might be mistaken for humility, but it might just be insecurity.
0: Well, if it helps anything, I remember, uh, well, I, I've done, I've listened to many interviews and read many books of these like top like millionaire, billionaire, like super successful people. And I remember when people get into like the, the meat of like their interviews, and it was like, you know, who are you behind the titles behind the money behind the job? these like crazy billionaires always like at some point will admit they're like, uh, inside is a pretty insecure person actually. So I think there's always that part, no matter like how big you get will always kind of live there. So I think that's really important. And I thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's an important thing. A lot of people uh, think that they're kind of alone in their insecurities or that when you reach a certain point, like when you become on time magazine that all of your insecurities will go away. So I really thank you for sharing that because that was vulnerable and that was hard. And I thank you for that.
1: Of course, thank you for allowing us to get to that point.
0: We know that you're strong and empowered. We know that you wanna make an incredible impact on this world. And thankfully there's an online boutique for you to represent that message every day. The Ona Boutique has two lines of t-shirts and engraved gold bar necklaces to remind you that you're capable of incredible impact on this world. And the proceeds benefit Operation Not Alone, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit supporting our troops, veterans, and mental health initiatives all across the country. Head to theownaboutique.com to shop their collections and get free shipping with the code IMPACT. That's the-o-n-a-boutique.com and use code IMPACT. I completely shift this in a different direction because I'm, I'm also curious about this. Um, so you are an elected official, but given your position, I don't think people realize that this is not your full-time job. You also work on top of this to which you work at Google of all places. Um, can you tell us a little bit more, not necessarily like about your job, although I would love to know more how you got a job at Google, just like personally. Um, but how really like that's I mean, that's gotta be an intense job. Like you're balancing so much at any given point. And I think I'm more curious like how you are balancing all of it, handling all of it. Um, Cause these are a lot of really heavy tasks. These aren't light things that you're balancing around.
1: That's a great question. And something that I try to be very transparent and practical about is the way that my time and day ends up breaking out. So my elected office role is a part-time unpaid volunteer role. And I emphasize the words part-time, meaning I have to go to a couple board meetings a month. And my job at Google is what pays the bills. That's what I do from nine to five. I love my job as well. Don't get me wrong. Like it is amazing. It's taught me so much. I've grown both personally and professionally while working at Google. The people that work I work with are amazing people. Um, they're all super kind, charismatic, smart individuals who I've been able to learn a ton from. And my job is I'm a relationship manager between... Uh, clients that spend millions of plus dollars on Google ads and Google. uh, Basically, I'm an account manager is what my role is called. And I got I, I actually all of my professional work experience prior to working at Google was always in marketing and communications and sales. And this is a perfect role that combined all of that. So prior to working at Google, I interned at Deloitte. I worked at a food market research company. I've been at um, a small nonprofit. So I've, I've had like quite a bit of diverse work experience that I was doing in addition to school, in addition to campaigning, in addition to volunteering and doing all of that. And I feel like I've always been doing a million things and, you know, having 28 hour days when it's, we actually have 24 hours. And I think the one thing that I would compromise a lot would be sleep and rest, which I think is probably what many of us find ourselves doing. It's the easiest time to take away, but, um, I think the pandemic helped me a lot in terms of getting recharged and reorganizing. And it's, I found that I have so much more time to do a lot more things because everything is at home. Work is from home. The board meetings are from home. Um, Speaking engagements are from home and I definitely miss travel and all that, that comes into it. But I think the pandemic has played an amazing part in that in emphasizing and prioritizing self-care in these instances and in these spaces. And then also, um, expanding my reach and horizons for how much I'm able to actually do because it's all from the comfort of my home
0: which is true I mean there the pandemic has been terrible and awful but there's always a silver lining to come out of it right which I think is I mean and that's the thing is like sometimes that can take both versions will take a really large toll on our mental health, right? Like the go, go, go nonstop. And that's okay. Like I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mentality. And then also some of the, like, the stuck at home is a little bit of a mental challenge as well. But, um, I like that you admitted that sleep was always the first thing to go. Cause that was always my boat too, where I was like, I don't need sleep. It's fine. We'll have coffee. It's great. Um, Do you have anything in particular, like a boundary, anything that you set now, like for more of your self-care, especially that you are doing all of these things from
1: home? So I've been getting a lot of international media attention as of recently. Um, I don't know where that came from or why it's been international. But for example, for International Women's History Month, I was invited to speak in Dubai and... um, and Pakistani and Indian news channels are all like BBC India, BBC Pakistan. They have been covering me extensively. And a lot of those interviews are live. And many times they'll say, Hey, can you come live on our 10am show, which is 12am Chicago time? Um, That's just how the time difference works. So I, I, I feel like it had this opportunity come to me, you know, two years ago, I would have been like, well, it's international press. It's such a large scale. I have to say yes. Like, But now I'm in this position where I'm very comfortable saying, no, unfortunately, I cannot um, accommodate, you know, 12 a.m. for an interview. Um, And I feel very comfortable setting that boundary, which isn't, I think, that strict of a boundary in itself either. But um, with that international attention, I've also been invited to speak at international conferences that would say, hey, like, would you be able to do your keynote speech at 3.30 in the afternoon for us? Which, again, is like 2.30 a.m. my time. And I think it's just you know, it's that time difference that has played a huge role. And I think it's um, And I tell people that I take meetings and engagements between the hours of 8am to 9pm. And that's like my strict schedule, which like is is quite flexible, too. And like, I could make a a 12am engagement work since I'm working from home and doing that. But I know if I say yes to it once, then I'll probably say yes to it again. And that's not a habit I want to get into.
0: That's important though because I think that at 26, I still would identify with 19-year-old you. That if someone was like, "Well, it has to go live at midnight," I'd be like, "Okay." Be like, "Can't pass it up." <laughs> like, I don't know that I would be as strong as you and be like, "No, that's like kind of a ridiculous like 2:30 broadcast." Um, so I commend you for that because I don't think even I have that strength. So yeah, yeah, cheers to you. Um, but I think that's that's very important to set those kinds of boundaries. Um, in the political arena, I really want to hear your advice. And this is going to be in general to young people, because I think politics sounds so scary and they sound so also like old sometimes, like, you know, we, we have the stereotypical like old white man kind of thing, but also I think in this last presidential cycle, you know, I think it's very easy for all of us, even just as like your average citizen to go to complain about something and go, well, someone else will take care of it. And usually we think of like our elected officials, Congress, Senate, whoever, uh, they'll take care of it. What is your advice to someone? First of all, for the fact that like this very well can be in a 19 year old's hands if you try hard <laughs> enough and if you do it. Um, but the fact that like, you know, to the beginning of your interview, you said like real change happens with public policy and, and nonprofits, of course, but public policy is going to be the real root of how we get things done. Like, how How do you really communicate that particularly to the younger generation?
1: So I found that one of the main reasons why I was discouraged from politics was because I found that my elected officials and politicians that I knew of were just inaccessible. There were these people that we had put on pedestals. They were the people that you would try to get a photo with when you meet and be really hesitant to actually ask them for things without realizing that these people are only in positions of power because we have the power to elect them to where they are. And that's what the dynamic should actually be. And I try to break down the misconceptions and preconceived notions that people have for politicians. I say, they work for you. It is their job to serve you and they are serving you in the community. It is their job to represent you. Um, so if there is something that bothers you that, you know, troubles you or something that you wish to bring forth to their attention, then you absolutely a hundred percent should. Then I try to be that person who I might be the first elected representative that anyone that a lot of my friends, peers and people in my community have ever engaged or interacted with and had a conversation with. And I try to be that accessible person to be showcase that, you know despite that i'm an elected official like i am not that busy for you right like i will make time for you and if no one is actually that busy it shows i think it's a testament to what people make their priorities and i prioritize the people that have elected me because that's what my job actually is so i think that's like the way that i go about that and i try to showcase to young people that if there's something that you know you want to make a difference and impact in then run for something, right? Like, I think I tell people that there is a very special group of individuals that choose to run for office, right? It is not the average, everyday normal thought that people have to want to run for something. There is a very special subsect group of people that want to do something like that. So if that has ever crossed your mind, then 100% go for it. Um, and I love convincing young people, uh, people of color, people, you know, women, um, other minority backgrounds, you um, People of that sort to run and to become elected representatives for their communities.
0: Yeah. Do you think? Because um, I know again, this last presidential cycle, we saw our highest voter turnout rate. Right? Because people, I mean, I also think the uh, the camp, the campaigns and the marketing and everything about getting people like registered to vote that voting is everyone's like duty and job and and obligation as a citizen to choose these elected officials. Um, do you think that voting is always enough? like across the board as like just your run of the mill person?
1: I think voting is the bare minimum of what we can do. But I think voting is one of the most important things that we can do as well. I think it is a start and I think it is something that um, I think it's the tip of the iceberg. I think every single thing that we do when it comes to organizing politically leads up to that moment of getting votes. Um, so I would say that, for example, everything from a can- candidate choosing to run for office to the um, politician developing policy to someone actually reenacting it and a public official, you know, speaking on a debate. All of that, all of this leads up to getting your vote and to getting your support. Um, So it is so voting, I think, is like the like I said, the tip of the iceberg, the epitome of all things politics. It's the most important part, but it is the bare minimum that we can do. We must do so much more. We must be civically minded and active and engaged leaders in our community. And it is our responsibility to get involved politically and civically. Um, Everything from, you know, standing outside of a polling place handing out flyers for a candidate that you believe in to being an election judge on election day, like all of these things hold so much value as well. And it's way more than just voting, because voting is just, you know, it it takes five to 10 minutes voting, right? Like, it's something that you do, and you're done. And then, you know, you see there's election results come in, but there is so much work that goes behind the scenes into all of that, that you're able to make a more tangible and direct impact in
0: Yeah, for sure. So I do have a question. Do you want to stay in the political arena as you age and you get more experience? Like, and do you also to that, if you do have a dream, like role that you would want to be like a governor or a senator? Do you want to do you want to run for president when you turn 35? Like anything like that?
1: Um, that is such a good question. I definitely do see myself running for higher political office one day, whether it be Congress, Senate, um, state House, state representatives, all of the above. I definitely see myself running for higher office. I think it just has to be the right time. And um, mm-hmm. people ask me all the time if I do want to run for president. And um, who knows? I, I truly feel like the sky's the limit, which I feel so grateful and humbled to say. But um, that's, I feel like, so far away. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done between now and then. And I think even if I don't um, end up there at that level or at that caliber, I really hope that. I see a woman president in my lifetime. And I am convinced that I will sometime soon. And I definitely want um, to bear witness to that. And um, that's, I think, the power that we have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, at least we've so far gotten to see our first female female VP. Um, So we're one step closer. We're getting close. Um, So I do love that. I think it's very, um, I'm sure asking if you want to run for president is a very like, Easy run and mill question for people to ask you, especially just given the nature of who you are. Um, but I want to say, so again, you just turned 23. We're coming out of a pandemic. Um, you know, whether it is something with like your job at Google, you know, you have these political aspirations. What what is like your next big thing that you want to work towards? Like, what's your next big goal, your next big like vision for your life? And this could be like general lifestyle this could be career this could be anything what do you what's the big thing that you want to see for yourself next
1: i signed a book deal 2 weeks ago So you heard it here first. (laughs) Um, So I'm super, super excited about that. that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to be an author and have, you know, published my story for like six years now. And I'm really excited and grateful that this is something that is going to come into fruition. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I
0: know this is so early in that process if you just signed it two weeks ago, but do you have an idea
1: of when it would be out? Yeah, so it will be out come July 2021, so this summer. Oh, that's going to be fast. Okay. <laughs> that's a quick
0: turnaround. <laughs> okay, well, I will be like on your pre-order list absolutely. Um so excited for you. Congratulations on that. Um Pushra, this was so exciting. Literally, this was just so exciting for me. I think this was very helpful and I hope a very impactful conversation for anyone that listened to it and got all the way through it um you are a gem and a half again you are so like humble and so hardworking and just like so kind I I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with me today um it's clear that you make a very large impact on all the people in your life so thank you for all the work that you do and thank you for being here today
1: Thank you so much. That is so sweet. Susan, you are a gem and a half. Um, You asked me some amazing questions that I've never been asked before. You forced me to think outside of my typical box, which I think is great. And that should always be the goal of a podcast. Like you're doing amazing. You're rocking it. Like I said earlier, Um, can't wait to see you and your journey as it unfolds and keep doing all the good work. And thank you for uplifting my voice. Oh my gosh.
0: Absolutely. It was, it was a treasure. I promise. So thank you again uh, for coming on and I can't wait to honestly publish this. This is going to be so great. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the make an impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media? So someone else could catch the impact bug until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.